Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. This morning's scripture is going to come from Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, and we'll be reading through to verse, chapter 6, verse 10. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted too. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who was taught the word share all the good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Amen. Good morning. Friends, it's good to see you. Welcome if you're joining us online. So glad you've joined us today. Just before we jump into our sermon for today, I just received news just before I came into the auditorium today that our sister Betty Miller passed away yesterday, and that was just yesterday afternoon. So more details will come. Uh, But uh, Norm Harrison, who is uh, her nephew, is traveling this way to be here for the service. And we will give information as that comes available. Meanwhile, we are continuing in this series that we're calling Coming Home, and we were joking a bit last week because it's not the kind of coming home that we were anticipating. It's not the kind of, you know, horses running back to the barn, everybody's gathering in quickly as we hoped it would be. There's some new restrictions and things like that we're trying to navigate, but still we're trying to understand what, and the question that we're asking in this series, which really applies to us no matter whether we're all here or whether some of us are watching from home, the question we're asking is, what are some biblical priorities that deserve our attention as we seek to be a healthy, spirit-filled community of believers? The title of our message today is Prioritizing Church as the family, as a family. You know, in the course of my study and preparation for this sermon, I was looking at one particular passage of Galatians, which we had read to us. But as I, as I looked more and more at the whole book of Galatians, what I realized is that Paul, in this amazing letter to this group of churches in the area of Galatia and Asia Minor, speaks very much and very powerfully on this theme of church as family. So, before we jump into our specific text for this morning, what I want to do is emphasize that behind this title that's been chosen for this sermon, there's first of all a heartfelt desire, 
And secondly, there's a very, very high calling. First, heartfelt desire. Our heartfelt desire here at Central Baptist Church is that every person who is a part, every person who calls Central Baptist their church home, that every person would feel accepted, loved, connected, and cared for as a family member. Can I say that again? Our heartfelt desire is that every person who chooses to call Central Baptist Church home, that you would feel loved, accepted, connected, and cared for as a family member. Paul, in the book of Galatians, gives us this remarkable, remarkable statement. As he's talking to this church, these number of churches that are in the area of Galatia, a whole mix of people, he says to them in Galatians 3.26, I'm not going to put this on the screen, means you have to listen more carefully. He says this, in Christ Jesus, you, you members of the church of Jesus, these, these different churches in this area, you are all sons and daughters, you are all children of God through faith. You are all children of God through faith. Later in chapter 4, he goes on to use this imagery of adoption, and he says, if you have come to receive this amazing gift of salvation through Jesus, what you have received is the, the gift of adoption. You are now sons and daughters of God. What an amazing truth that is. But then... It also has an amazing implication. What's the implication of this? The implication of this is this. When you chose to become a follower of Jesus, when you received the gift of forgiveness for your sins and became a Christian, when you became a follower of Jesus, you became a son of your father, God, but you also got stuck with me as your brother. <laughs> so look around, my friends. Look around. Right? The, the emphasis that Paul has for us in Galatians is that as we come together, we come together as a family. We are brothers and sisters. So as you look around this auditorium and as you imagine from home who's here and even as you imagine your friends who are part of the church, whether or not you know that person whether or not you agree with that person, whether or not you like that person, that person is your brother or sister. This is the emphasis in Galatians. And so our heartfelt desire is that every person who is a part of Central Baptist Church would feel accepted, loved, connected, and cared for as a family member. But behind all of this, I want to also point out that this is an incredibly high calling. In fact, I want to suggest that on a human level, it's an impossibly high calling. Let me, let me clarify what I mean, because what I believe Paul says to us in Galatians, that we're called to a family relationship of the highest level. In chapter 3, verse 28, Paul makes this astounding statement. Once again, listen carefully. It's not on the screen. He says this as he's describing these churches. He says these, these people who are all children of God. He says, in this community, in this family of believers, there is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is an astounding statement. It's a radical statement. Imagine with me first century Asia Minor, the area of Galatia where these churches were located. First century Roman Empire was a polarized society. Jews didn't associate with non-Jews, especially in worship. Free people didn't worship or socialize with slaves. And the contact between men and women was according to strict society rules. And Paul says to them, when you come together, you, you free people, you slaves, when you come together as brothers and sisters, you come together as one. Your status disappears. Do you know how radical that is? Let me give you one more illustration. Imagine that you are the king of England, and I am a chimney sweep. Both of us choose to follow Jesus. Both of us choose to come to worship. The king of England sits at exactly the same level as the chimney sweep. Why? Because we are both undeserving recipients of the gift of grace. And so Paul says there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there's no slave, no free. This was radically countercultural in the day of Paul. And my brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you it's becoming increasingly appropriate for our day because we live in an increasingly polarized world. Our world is becoming torn apart over lots of issues, lots of opinions related not just to COVID and vaccines and masks, but also related to political things. We're in the midst of a political scramble right now in our own country, and we have differing views on politics. We have differing views on theology, and the church is at risk of being pulled apart. And Paul says to us, when you come together as brothers and sisters, let it be that what unifies you is stronger than what is trying to tear you apart. This is the family that we're called to. And this is not just hard. I want to suggest it's impossible from a human perspective. If we just try harder at this, we won't make it. And all the way through Galatians, Paul calls us to live repeatedly, not according to our flesh, not according to our own personal strength, but according to the power of the Spirit of God who unites us. Well, with all of this background, let's turn to the text for today. And here's what I believe to be the title for our whole section here today. This is what he says, Galatians 5, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. What's he going to say? What he goes on in these verses to say is he answers this question. What does a family in step with the Spirit actually look like? And Paul, in these verses that we're going to look at, gives us incredibly practical 
answers. Let me first of all summarize his answer, and then we'll go through some of the details. Here's what I believe Paul is saying in this text. He says, a community or a family as brothers and sisters, a family that's in step with the Spirit is marked, here's the marks of this family in step with the Spirit, by healthy attitudes and actions towards others, but also toward ourselves. Before we look at this text, let's do some self-examination. Let's look in our hearts. Be honest with yourself. What is your attitude towards your fellow believers right now? What about that person who holds a radically different view in some area than you? What's the attitude of your heart towards that brother or sister What about that person you find it just very difficult to communicate with? I confess that I examine my own heart. I have to say that it's a very difficult thing for me to consistently have a healthy attitude towards people around me. I always find myself either looking down or looking up. It's very difficult to hold this healthy attitude But the second question, and I believe Paul really understands us as people when he does this, the second question is unmistakably intertwined with our attitude toward other people, and that's our attitude toward ourselves. So let me ask you this. What's your attitude in your heart toward yourself today? What does your self-talk sound like? Do you have a poor view of yourself? Perhaps an overinflated view of yourself. And by the way, Paul, as he's writing these next verses, I do believe he's very aware of how these communities work and how susceptible we are to think too highly or too lowly of others and of ourselves. So once again, a community in step with the Spirit, a family in step with the Spirit, is marked by these healthy attitudes and actions toward others and toward ourselves. Now, let's look at some of the details. And there's a lot of details. We're going to go quite quickly through them. But let me just put it in a graphic to begin with so that you can see it and understand it. I think what Paul is doing here and what I observe in this text is four pairs, four pairs of attitudes and actions. So there's attitudes and actions towards others. There's attitudes and actions toward ourselves. All right? So the first one is don't be conceited. That's toward others. Toward ourselves... He says, boast in oneself alone. That's an odd phrase. We're going to look at what that means. Secondly, he says, gently restore your brother and sister if they fall into sin, but to yourself be careful so you don't fall into that same sin. Thirdly, he says, carry each other's burdens. But then he says, seemingly the opposite, carry your own load. We'll look at what that means. And then finally, as kind of a summary statement, he says, do good. Don't become weary of doing good. And toward ourselves, be careful not to sow seeds that please the flesh. Okay, let's walk through this quite quickly. There's so much here, but you don't want to stay here until 5 o'clock tonight, right? So let's go through it quickly. First, toward others, what's the first attitude that he talks about? He says, don't be conceited. Chapter 5, verse 26, look what it says. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. 
I want you to notice that this is first in line, right? So Paul just said, if we're going to live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. The first quality he puts up here is conceit. What is conceit? According to the Oxford Dictionary, it's this excessive pride in one's self. Excessive pride in one's self. So can I call us again to a careful examination here? When I hear the word conceit, I would say, well... I'm not conceited. I don't feel like I'm conceited. But when I think about someone, for example, who holds a very different view from me, sometimes I find myself easily kind of looking down on that person, putting myself up above that person, looking down. That's conceit. I'm right. They're wrong. If I can just make an observation here, I believe that the degree to which I think I'm right about an issue is the degree to which I need to be so careful not to become conceited in that issue. Please note what Paul is saying and what he's not saying. Paul is not saying that we need to agree with each other on everything. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not found by all of us agreeing on everything. But he is saying that a family that's in step with the Spirit of God knows how to disagree well. Knows how to disagree with each other and yet maintain that bond of unity as brothers and sisters. So don't be conceited. But what's the attitude toward myself? We go down to chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, and it's kind of a surprising statement, actually. And so I want to look at it in a couple different translations here. This is what we read before, chapter 3 and 4. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Okay, we can get that. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. And not in his neighbor. Paul, what, what are you saying here that we should boast in ourselves? Let me go to the NIV translation. Very similar but slightly different words. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. And then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. What we know, obviously, because of what Paul has just said, he's not calling us to be conceited, right? So we can rule that option out at all. He's not talking about the prideful boasting that is conceit. Verse 3 is absolutely clear on this fact, and so is the fact that he tells us that we shouldn't compare ourselves with others. Verse 4 is the key verse here. It has three phrases. Let's look at each one individually. The first phrase says, each one should test their own actions. What does that mean? It means we should look carefully at who we are. We should look carefully at who God made me to be. In Romans 12, Paul says we should think soberly about ourselves, not to think more highly, I would suggest also not to think more lowly, but to think soberly. And so test your own actions. Who are you? Who has God made you to be? What are your gifts and your skills and your personality? Okay, that's the first phrase. But then he says, then they can take 
pride in themselves alone in the NIV. You remember the ESV, which we read before, uses the word boast. Some translations use the word rejoice. What is Paul getting at here? The idea seems to be that once you have discovered who you really are, then you should celebrate who you really are. Once you discover who God has made you to be, the gifts and the skills and the personality that's given you, Paul is saying, rejoice in this. Give thanks to God for who he has made you to be. Psalm 139, the psalmist says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. It's God who puts you together. Ephesians 2, Paul tells us that we are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork. And Paul seems to be saying here, celebrate the person that God made you to be. Live fully into who God made you to be. And then he says in the final phrase, without comparing yourself to someone else. Oh, how hard this is to actually live out, isn't it? It's hard. But I believe this is what Paul is calling us to do. I believe that we often misunderstand the idea of humility. We often think of humility as kind of putting ourselves down, making ourselves lower than someone else. That's not what Paul is calling us to here. I believe humility, as I understand it in the, in the teaching of the New Testament, humility is standing up to the full height of who God made me to be and celebrating that, but realizing that my full height in the context of the infinite creator of the universe is like a speck of dust. And yet it's a beautiful speck of dust because it was created by God. I love the way Eugene Peterson has captured verse 4 in the message. This is the final uh, translation that we use. In the message, it says this, Make a careful exploration of who you are. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself, and don't compare yourself with others. There's so much more that could be said in this area. Um, if you're looking for a good resource to, to think more deeply in this, I would recommend Tim Keller. He wrote, he did a sermon, and this became a little booklet that's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. kind of ties in with this from a passage in Corinthians. Let me encourage you to go and find it there. But in summary then, this first pair of attitudes towards others, I'm not to be conceited and towards myself. I'm to celebrate and live fully into who God made me to be without comparing myself with others. Okay, quickly now on to the second. The second set of uh, actions, attitude, first toward others, gently restore. Look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught... If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If someone is caught in a sin, Paul is calling us to pay attention to sin in the family. If someone is caught in a sin, what are the possible ways that we can respond as brothers and sisters in the same family? Well, one way to respond is to ignore it. Quite honestly, that's probably the easiest thing, right? Paul talks so much about freedom in the book of Galatians, helping us understand that freedom is not the ability to do whatever I want whenever I want. 
Freedom is learning to be the way God made me to be. That's true freedom. And freedom is not allowing my brother to do whatever he wants to do. Freedom is helping him to discover who God made him or her to be. And so we're called to pay attention, to get involved in the messiness of people's lives. We're called to do that. But how do we do it? We have to be careful. We can either ignore it or we can condemn that person. We can come down on them with a load of bricks. We can stand up above them and say, how could you do that? Paul says, you who live by the Spirit, this can only be done by the power of the Spirit, should restore that person gently. Please don't miss any of the words of this phrase. We don't have time to go into possible practical ways to do this, but can we as a church family, can we be deeply committed to the ministry of restoration of our brothers and sisters? This is part of the family of God. But in the midst of reaching out with this restorative action toward a brother in sin, what's my attitude toward myself? Paul says in verse 1, the latter part, he says this, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Once again, let me just pass along an observation from one of the commentators I was reading. What kind of temptation is he talking about? It's possible that he's talking about the kind of temptation that you're restoring this brother from so that you don't fall into the same sin. It's possible But maybe he's also saying, as you reach out to help your brother in sin, be careful not to fall into the the sin of pride to say, well, I didn't fall into that sin. Look how good I am. Right? So be careful. Guard your heart so you don't fall into that same sin or fall into the sin of pride. So we guard our hearts. So far then, we've seen two pairs. Don't be conceited. Live fully into who God made you to be. Humbly desire to restore your brothers and sisters when they fall into sin, but be careful to guard your heart. Thirdly then, carry each other's burdens. Chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Paul's just been talking about... The gospel setting us free from the law. What is the law of Christ? How did Jesus summarize the law? He said, first of all, love. Second of all, love. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. How do we carry each other's burdens? Again, we don't have time to describe this in detail. I believe this is a church that's doing this pretty well. I've observed it. But we need to do better. We need to keep carrying each other's burdens. We all know what it feels like when the storms of life hit us and we just can't handle it anymore. We know what it feels like to be cared for, somebody just coming alongside and being there for us. Perhaps we also know what it feels like to be uncared for. And Paul is calling us as family members, be sure to care for one another. A community, a family that's in step with the Spirit is a place where people care and they share. It's a place where people want to be because it's made up of people who are characterized by the fruitfulness of the Spirit. Remember a little further up in Galatians 5 what he said, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
a community in step with the Spirit, is a, is a community, it's a family where people are radically others-centered and not self-centered. But how should I look toward myself as I care for others? And here we find this phrase which at first glance seems to be a contradiction. In chapter 6, verse 5, he says this, For each one will have to bear his own load. I was talking with Tom Cowan, who was preaching here a few weeks ago about this passage, and he reminded me, he's a Greek specialist, which I'm not, but there are two different Greek words used here, carry your burden, carry your load. Carry your burden is this this heavy weight that's too heavy to bear. It's this burdensome word. The word load, carry your own load, here in verse 5, is a word which is sometimes used to refer to the day pack that the Roman soldiers would carry with their provisions for the day. In the flow of the text, this phrase seems to imply the idea that each one of us is personally responsible to work and provide for our needs. A community in step with the Spirit, a family in step with the Spirit, is not a bunch of freeloaders who say, well, I don't have to work because my brothers and sisters will take care of me. In fact, in, the, in another place, in Thessalonians, Paul says it very bluntly. He says, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So it seems like the picture here is each one of us in the family living fully and enthusiastically into who God made us to be. We're earning money to provide for ourselves and our families to the extent that we're able. But sometimes when the storms hit us, we can't do it anymore. And then our brother and sister comes along and helps us carry that load. So this then is our third pair of attitudes and actions. Carry each other's burdens. Each one should carry their own load. The fourth and final pair. Chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, there's these, these two statements, do good. We sometimes forget that. And so he says, don't become weary. Do good. And toward ourselves, be careful not to sow seeds of self-gratification. Be careful not to sow seeds of selfishness. Let me read this text slowly. I'm not going to make too many comments on it, but let me just read it slowly so that you hear this, which is kind of like a summary phrase of everything that's above. Verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows in the ground, that he will also reap. Pay attention to the agricultural analogy here. For the one who sows to the flesh, from his flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. My younger brother lives in southern Alberta. He's sometimes a pastor and sometimes a farmer. And this uh, harvest season, he's been working for a farmer friend of his. About a month ago, three weeks ago maybe, he sent me this picture, which uh, was kind of his life at the moment. And he said, they've just finished harvesting peas, and now they're going to start harvesting barley. Here's my question. How did those peas get in the field? Those peas got in the field because they were planted in the sowing season. How do you know whether you're going to get peas out of the field? Well, you've got to look after the peas and everything. But here's one thing we know for sure. If you plant peas in the field, you're not going to get barley.
Please note the urgency in Paul's voice as he writes, Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. If you persistently sow seeds of self-centeredness and cultivate attitudes of conceit and arrogance, you will reap destruction. Instead, my brothers and sisters, let us not become weary in doing good to each other, especially those who are a part of the family of God. Perhaps like me, you've been in a church or a Christian organization in a season where relationships have become toxic and self-centered and characterized by self-centeredness rather than the healthy kind of attitudes and actions Paul is prescribing for us today. This is always a danger for us. There is especially a danger for us in our world today as, it, as our world is becoming more and more polarized. We need to constantly come back to passages like this one to find perspective and to seek to become agents of goodness and sowers of kindness. And so very briefly, we remind ourselves of this. These are the four pairs of attitudes and actions that Paul is calling us to. I would like to conclude with a practical suggestion and then a final reminder. And for this practical suggestion, I'm going to call my friend Ian to come up. Uh, He knows about this. This suggestion actually comes from the Alpha Marriage course. I'm not calling Ian, well, Ian's not my wife, as you can tell. But this, this, this suggestion comes as a recommendation for husbands and wives, but I think it really applies to us as a family here. And so let me just do this very brief kind of role play on the suggestion. So sometimes things come between us as brothers and we allow these disagreements to exist between us, right? So I'm not going to bother giving examples. You can think of examples, right? There are examples of things that come up between us as brothers and we can shoot arrows. We start by shooting arrows at the issue, right? I believe this, he believes that, but as long as that issue is standing between us, it's so easy just to lift the arrow and Suddenly, it's a personal attack, and it's no longer attacking the issue. Paul says, if you, if you bite and devour one another, you're going to consume each other. So be careful. So the suggestion, which I believe is very applicable for us in these days, is instead of having that issue between us and fighting the issue and maybe shooting at each other and making it a personal attack, we agree that according to the words in Paul and Galatians, we are brothers we are equally unworthy recipients of the beautiful gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we stand together as brothers and sisters and we put that issue out there and we say as we're committed to each other, we're going to still attack it. We're still going to shoot arrows at it, right? We're going to ask a lot of questions about that issue. This is not about everybody agreeing about everything, but it's about beating up the issue instead of beating up each other. Thank you, brother. And let me conclude with a final reminder. This kind, of, this kind of family is impossible for us to do just by trying harder. This kind of family relationships, we can't, we can't get there by just trying to be better people. We, can't, we, we won't become a better family just by trying to be better people. Let me use another analogy. To get an apple tree to produce more healthy apples, we don't, we don't make the apple tree look good, right? Brush its leaves, paint its bark. 
but we make sure that it's rooted in the right place. It's getting nutrients from the soil. We don't become a healthy family simply by working harder at becoming a healthy family. We cannot look at Paul's words today as simply a self-help guide. We become a healthy family by being deeply rooted in the Word, by becoming increasingly wholehearted followers of Jesus, by loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then as we turn to each other, we have the power of the Spirit to help us to love each other well. My friends, this is an impossibly high calling if we simply try to do it on our own. But with the power of the Spirit, we, are, we have this Spirit-enabled unity that is the kind of unity where the world will look at the family at Central Baptist Church and say, those people must be followers of Jesus. Why? Because they love each other. That's what Jesus said the mark would be. So, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.